Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Today we're continuing our series called Dinner with Jesus. Pastor Nicole has been examining several instances where Jesus shared a meal with someone and it led to incredible life change. So far, she's discussed Jesus calling Matthew into ministry with him, the story of Mary pouring perfume on Jesus' feet at Simon's house, as well as the feeding of the 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. Today, Pastor Nicole is going to share about the Last Supper and how Jesus set forth a new relationship with God that changed the world forever. These last several weeks, we've been sharing messages from our outdoor services. And in this one, Pastor Nicole is preaching in the rain. And you may even hear some thunder in the background near the end. But that didn't stop her from sharing this powerful message. So let's get started today. Here's Pastor Nicole. We've been talking about uh, dinner conversations with Jesus. And in the Bible, Jesus eats a lot, okay? He, you might not have ever noticed, because maybe you weren't looking for it, but Jesus eats with his family. Jesus eats with his disciples. He eats with sinners. He even eats with his enemies. Uh, Jesus eats with the poor. He eats with the elite. In fact, in the book of Luke, Jesus taught 23 parables, and 17 of them have something to do with eating. This is my kind of guy, all right? If Jesus is in the story, there's eating, all right? I want you to start looking for that when you read the scripture. And so we are in this series called Dinner with Jesus. We're looking at five different scriptures, five different stories where Jesus has a meal and then he teaches a supernatural lesson through it. And so today we're gonna look at an incredibly unique meal. Uh, and this meal that Jesus has with some of his closest friends, and it's a meal that he continues to invite us to participate in even today. So this is a meal that happened then. And Jesus says, look, even all of these centuries of years later, you can participate in this same meal. And it's called the Last Supper. So uh, we find it recorded in Luke 22, 7 through 8. And it says, uh, verse 7, then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So let me just stop right there for just a minute before we go any further. Uh, this scripture is referencing something historically significant. You may have heard of it called Passover. And I want to just describe it to you so that you understand the context of what's happening in this particular meal. So in the Old Testament... So many, many years before Jesus came to earth, uh, the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. And Moses was their leader, and he was crying out to Pharaoh to get the Israelites out of this very bad situation. You may have learned a song when you were younger. It went something like this, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Anybody, honk your horn if you've heard that song. I'm feeling really alone up here. Okay, great. So. Uh, this is what's happening. So Pharaoh and, and Moses are kind of having this tug of war and God is allowing plague after plague after plague to get Pharaoh's attention. So if you remember, rivers are becoming blood and frogs are invading the city and gnats and flies are showing up by the thousands and boils are showing up on people and animals. Hail is coming. Locusts are overtaking the sky. Uh, at one point, the whole earth goes pitch black for three days. So uh, Pharaoh, is, God is saying, look, Pharaoh, I'm in charge. I'm trying to get your attention. But Pharaoh's heart stays hardened. And so Moses and Pharaoh, they go back and forth. Moses insisting on freedom and Pharaoh resisting slavery and Moses demanding liberation and Pharaoh enforcing bondage. And, and there's this back and forth and back and forth. And God says to Moses, listen, 
I've got one more plague. I've got one finale plague. And listen, after this plague, if you will trust me, if you will obey, if you will do what I'm asking you to do, then Pharaoh will let you go. And so this was the night before the biggest escape, the, biz- the biggest exodus in all of history. There's one plague left, and this is the night of Passover. And what this was is on the night of Passover, every Jewish family was instructed to take a lamb for their family, one for every household, to sacrifice it, to eat the meat, roast it over the fire, and then take the blood of that lamb and put it on, on the door frame of their home. And there was very specific instructions. And God said, if you did this, you will be safe from the plague. But if you did not, if any family did not follow these instructions, their firstborn son would die in the night. This actually in the scripture, it sounds a little like Stephen King-esque, but this is actually in the scripture that their firstborn son was going to die in the night if they didn't do this. And so it says in Exodus 12, verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. And Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. However, just like God promised, just like he promised, all the Jewish families who put the blood of the innocent lamb on their doorposts did not experience death in their families. God always does what he says he's going to do. Is anybody thankful for that? God always does what he says he's going to do. And so God does this. And Passover is this huge victory for the Israelites. And it's this moment that God protected them by using the blood of an innocent lamb. And so every year without fail, the people celebrated this moment in history. For us, it's like Christmas. It's like Easter. It's like Christmas and Easter together. It's this holiday that they remember that God saved their people. God saved their people. And the whole nation stopped to observe Passover because it was a turning point in history, both spiritually and culturally. All right, so now we're back to Luke 22, and it's Passover time. And Jesus, the perfect sinless lamb of God, is about to do something the people can't even dream, okay? So like in the Old Testament, people put the, put the lamb's blood on the doorposts of their homes. Jesus says, look, I'm about to be the, the sinless lamb that, you sh- that the blood was shed and put over your homes. I'm about to do that, but not just for the people in that community, but for the whole universe, He says, look, I'm about to fulfill the concepts of Passover in a way that nobody could ever, ever dream. And so here we are in Luke 22, verse 14. It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So here he's saying, I know we celebrate this every year, but listen guys, this one's special because I'm not gonna sit here at this table with you again next year because something big is about to happen and you won't even be able to understand it, but I'm about to do it. Something big's gonna happen. And it says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then in verse 19, he took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
And so this is the last meal. It's the last dinner that Jesus had with his disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. And Judas had already left. He, he was already um, working on betraying Jesus. And so it's Jesus and his 11 disciples, and they're having this last meal together. And there, there are three things kind of interwoven into this passage in Luke 22 that I want to talk about today. And they all start with an S, so you can remember them. They're the significance, the symbol, and the seriousness. The significance, the symbol, and the seriousness of this meal. So let's start with the significance. Uh, in Luke 22:20, 20, it says, this cup was a new covenant. All right, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. And, and Jesus is saying, look, by this bread, by this cup, I'm, I'm inaugurating a new covenant. I'm, inaug I'm inaugurating a new agreement between myself and the disciples. And it won't just stop at the disciples. This will be for all of humanity. And, and I got to thinking, well, if there's a new covenant, then there must be an old covenant. If, there was, if there's something new, then and this must have been established before. There must have been something old. And so many years before this meal, God made a covenant with the nation of Israel. He, made a, he had a conversation. He made a promise. He made an agreement with the people. And he brought them out of Egypt into the land of wilderness, and he gathered them at the foot of Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19, he says, look, if you obey me, if you obey my commandments, if you keep this covenant... You will be my people. You'll be my treasured nation. Above every other nation, you will be my people. He says, obey my laws. Keep my commandments. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And this was the agreement. This was the covenant that God made. Now, as years went on, the people sometimes obeyed God, and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they did a good job, and sometimes they broke the law in incredible ways. They committed idolatry. They put other things before God. They um, strayed from their relationship with him. They gave their hearts to other things. However, God did not give up on the people of Israel. They broke their end of the deal, but God did not give up on them. And so then God says, all right, look, it seems to me that there needs to be a new covenant and God says, I'm going to send a new covenant. It's, it's different than the old one. It's a new one. I'm going to bring a new covenant. And then for, for centuries, prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that's their message. They're saying, this is a new covenant. There's a new agreement coming. We don't know the whole of it yet, but there's a new covenant. There's a new agreement. And that's the prophecy that's happening in the Old Testament, saying something's coming. So the old covenant was this. I'll be your God if you obey all the laws. I'll be your God if you uh, do all the things you're supposed to do. I'll be your God if you stay in covenant with me. And the new covenant is this. I'll send my son to die in your place. I'll change your heart. I'll cleanse you from sin. I'll put my spirit in you. You will be righteous and you will redeemed because of what Jesus has done for you. And guess what? There's nothing left for you to do. There's nothing left for you to screw up because I'm not even asking you to do anything but come into relationship with me. And so the old covenant was about rules and keeping it all in order. And if you do this, God will love you. But the new covenant is about Jesus saying, I'm gonna love you anyway. I'm gonna love you in your mess and I'm gonna love you when it's difficult and I'm gonna love you when it's hard and I'm gonna love you even when you don't follow the rules. I want you to follow the rules, but I'm gonna love you even when that happens and there's gonna be redemption and renewal and Jesus Christ is the new covenant. And so the beauty in the new covenant is this. It has nothing to do with what we earn or deserve. It has everything to do with what God graciously gave us through his son, Jesus. And so in Luke twenty two twenty, 20, Jesus says, the new covenant is here. 
Jesus says, all those things those prophets have been talking about forever and ever, I'm it. No more waiting. It's ready to go. The new covenant requires Jesus' blood and Jesus' sacrifice and his death. And it will cost him everything. It is not cheap. It will cost Jesus everything. But when Jesus' body is broken and blood is shed, the new covenant is ready to go. It's enacted. And so in this meal, they're all sitting, all 11 of them are sitting there together. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's go time. All these years that the prophets have been talking about this, now it's time. And the significance it helps us understand is that we can remember that as followers of Jesus, our forgiveness has already been bought and paid for. We do not have to earn it by our works. And our forgiveness is found in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And our forgiveness is not based on the old covenant of trying to work our way to God or trying to obey so that we deserve it, but it's based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so when we take communion, when we have, when we have this last supper that we're seeing in the scripture, we're reminded that we are a people who stand in grace. And we don't deserve it and we'll never earn it. But we should be a people filled with joy and gratitude because Jesus paid it all with this new deal, this new covenant that he's brought to us. So that's the significance. Let's go to the symbols. Now, each part of the meal is a symbol. It's filled with meaning. Jesus took an old symbol and filled it with new meaning. And the two primary parts of, of this meal were the bread and the cup. And the bread and the cup, they're tokens, they're symbols to remember Jesus by. They're, they're not the literal Jesus's body and blood. At no time, even in the scripture, did, did they become anything else but bread and wine, even in this moment of the Last Supper. But the bread and wine are representations of these things. They're symbols to remind us what Jesus did for us on the cross, that his body was broken like the bread and his blood was spilled out like the juice. And so in this passage today, we read um, that actually Luke is the only gospel writer that mentions, excuse me, more than one cup of wine. And so the Passover meal, this meal that they'd have every single year, actually originally required four cups of wine, two before the meal and two after. And each is identified with one of God's promises coming out of Exodus 6. So I'm going to review these for you just briefly. But the first one, when they would take this first cup of wine, they called it the cup of sanctification. And the Israelites, uh, the promise that God made to the Israelites is that he would bring them out of Egypt. And so when uh, the Jewish people would drink this first cup, they would remember the fact that Jesus promised uh, or that God promised that he would deliver them out of the bondage of slavery. And so it was this, this moment of remembering the sanctification uh, that God brought. And then the next cup of wine was called the cup of deliverance. And this cup was sipped with this prayer of praise that, that God didn't just deliver them one time, but God continues to deliver us generation after generation after generation. And then typically after those two cups of wine, the Jewish people would take the bread and eat. And in the Last Supper, at this exact moment, Jesus picks up the bread and instead of everyone having it, he, he, says, he, he holds it out and he says, listen, this, is going, this represents my body. I'm the new bread. I'm the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. My own death will cause deliverance for the people. And if you remember in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, uh, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you have to imagine uh, the disciples at that time thinking, what is he talking about? Like, we, we always do this. 
And now he's stopping and explaining to us that this bread actually means something deeper and wider and, and more than we can understand. It's actually a representation of what Jesus is about to do on the cross. And then after uh, that next step, the third glass of wine is a cup called the cup of redemption. And for the ancient world, redemption referred to uh, slaves being purchased and liberated. And so in that moment, Jewish people thanked and praised God for freeing them from the Egyptian bondage with this cup. But I want to show you something really significant. Actually, when they get to this cup during the Last Supper, Jesus uh, takes this cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He specifically says this cup of redemption symbolizes your um, redemption from a different kind of slavery, not from just the slavery of bondage of the Egyptians, but this particular cup is redemption from our slavery to sin. Because of what I'm going to do here in the, right, in the cross the next day, this cup has a new meaning. This cup is the one that no more, we, we, we can celebrate the fact that not only are you free from the bondage of humans, but you're free from the slavery of the sin that all of us have and that we fight with. And so, and so he says, look, this is the new covenant. This is really important. I'm changing things right now. And then finally, the fourth cup is taken at the end of dinner and it's called the cup of anticipation. And this cup celebrates that uh, the Jewish people are saying, look, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And, and we today, we drink this cup in anticipation that Jesus is coming again, that he is coming again and he, he's coming to restore the earth. And, and as we drink that, we say that we know this promise that, that God has, he's not done yet with this earth. He's not done yet with us and he's going to come again. And so when we eat the bread, we're remembering that Jesus replaced the Passover lamb and his body was broken for us. And when we drink the cup, uh, you might say, Pastor Nicole, but we don't have four glasses of, of juice or wine. What's up with that? Well, here's why. Because at what Jesus did, he symbolizes, he fulfills, he represents all four of these Passover meal cups. The blood of Jesus satisfies what all four cups mean. He is the sanctification of what we need. He's the deliverance that we need. He's the redemption that we need. And we wait in great anticipation that he is coming back again. And so when you drink the juice, you're saying, look, Jesus is all these things. He's all these things to me. He fulfilled everything, all of history and all of future. And we can stand in complete just excitement and anticipation that he's coming back again. And so those are the symbols. So we looked at the significance, we looked at the symbols of this meal. And lastly, I wanna look at the seriousness of this meal. So this meal, Jesus invites us to be part of what should not be taken carelessly or flippantly. Um, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we're reminded that uh, if, you, if you actually eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way, if you don't take it seriously, you're actually guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And verse 28 says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And this is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Okay, this is serious stuff. This passage says to examine ourselves before we partake in this meal. And so I'm just gonna tell you a couple good practical ways to do that. Before you're ever gonna take communion, 
the, Lord, the, the Last Supper, we're actually taking in the Last Supper, you should always have a very serious reflection uh, because this is what the scripture says. It's not to be taken carelessly or flippantly or um, religiously or just like as, just as you're doing it. And so we need to look back, look at what Jesus did for us on the cross. We need to look around at the things God has put in our life. We need to look forward at the, at the future and we need to look within. We need to look within and see what God wants to do in us. So we need to look back, look around, look forward and look within. And so I'm just gonna take that thunder as a sign to take communion. And so Pastor Quint, would you come up here today? He's gonna lead us in communion this morning and we're gonna take it. And I pray that as we take it, um, this is just a frequent reminder to you that we need to deal with our sin on a heart level uh, before God with the symbols, the significance, and the seriousness of it. And so, would you just do that? Yeah. Uh, this is from Luke 22. If you have your cup and, uh, and wafer ready, this says, uh, taking the cup, Jesus blessed it and then said, take this and pass it among you. As for me, I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives. So go ahead and take the juice in that spirit of reflection and remembrance. And then it says, taking the bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Eat it in my memory. So go ahead and take the wafer. And Jesus, we just thank you for this reminder, for the fact that uh, you say, do this in remembrance of you. And so often we do forget, and we do forget the seriousness of this, uh, of this sacrament. But we thank you for your faithfulness, your patience, and your grace in reminding us and giving us this way back to you and remembering you uh, as often as we take it. You say, as often as we take it, we should remember you. And so we do that. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.